Welcome to the Together Sober Podcast. I am your host, Louise Barnett, former Fortune 100 Global Sales Director turned Jay Shetty Accredited Life Coach. Each week, we will provide you a safe space of guidance, empathy, accountability, and support, helping you to find effortless sobriety and mental peace. You know the whole concept of paying it forward? That's exactly what Hit Subscribe does. It sends a message to the universe, to people who need to hear the lessons and the tools from the Together Sober podcast. Hit subscribe. Purpose level friendships and what we did have in common did revolve around alcohol. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I was okay uh, to, to, to move on. Life does change. I was changing. and it's okay that you know not every friend sticks around and sees sees you through to the end um as an adult I've gotten that even just with age I think a little more mature that like I don't need every friend in high school to still be my best friend now right so yeah so that's been a a learning experience and Welcome back to another episode of the Together Sober podcast, where every single week we create survival guides out of our collective stories. Quick story for you. Back in, gosh, it must have been like April or May of 2022. We knew that we were going to be relocating from Dallas to Colorado, specifically the Fort Collins area. And I had, I don't know, been on Instagram scrolling around and I started noticing this, like, like there started off, I just noticed like one, two, three of them. And then like, all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, there's this massive population of all of these different, what's called like sober in Minneapolis, sober in Boston, sober in Toronto, sober in Denver, like all of these different um, Instagram pages that were all supporting, you know, sobriety, recovery journeys, et cetera. And so I dug a little bit deeper into it and discovered that this is all under the umbrella of what's called the sober city movement, whose, you know, mission is exactly that to raise awareness and to really place individuals and identify individuals in each of these cities around the globe to help create a local presence and a local awareness of recovery journey, addiction, and the sobriety journey in general. So at the time there was like already a Dallas person. And I was like, gosh, like I want to be involved in this. This looks so cool right up my alley. And so I reached out to the founder and said, Hey, I'm going to be moving to Fort Collins. I don't think there's anybody representing that city. I would love to represent. Um, And of course she was so gracious, said yes. And so since we've moved to Fort Collins now about six months, um, been really active in that community with sober city movement. The coolest thing about this community is that we're all women who represent our cities. And so we have this all just like common thread where we come together and not only are we representing our own cities, but we're also representing each other and supporting one another on our journey. You have people representing that are like legit, like one month sober, two months sober, really trying to reinforce their sobriety. And then you have people with years and years of sobriety under their belt. So it's just a really cool virtual community. Now, the reason I'm telling you this story is because the person that we are going to be hearing from today and having a conversation with today, her name is Kim Tao, and she is currently the representative of Sober City Movement, Sober in Toronto. Now, we were just talking offline, and she's like, literally, her apartment is in shambles, or her home is in shambles, because she's in the process of moving to Prince Edward Island, of all places. So by the time this actually airs, you'll be looking at Sober in Charlottetown, uh, representing on behalf of Sober City Movement. So just such a cool mission, such a cool initiative. We'll definitely include those details in the show 
show notes for the initiative at at large so that you can go and find your city and connect with your representative in your city. Um, and if you can't find your city, maybe you could be that representative. So, so before we get started, I obviously just want to introduce, I'm so excited to learn about Kim's story today. And I just want to introduce a little bit about her before we hear from her story. So yes, we're meeting Kim Tal today. She's a 37-year-old fur mama from Toronto, Canada, and she's in the food sales industry. And in her journey, did not appear on the outside to be suffering the way she was on the inside. I know a lot of people can relate to that. So people around her would have never known about her hidden addictions. Of course, you know, the people she used to drink with wouldn't have said she had a problem, but the truth was she was breaking down mentally, emotionally, and physically all over time. So Kim told herself she had troubles with habit and habit formation. That was like always the excuse or, you know, the conversation she would have in her own mind. Um, and if she could just like figure out that secret to, you know, better habits, then she would be so much happier and healthier. And again, I know that's a conversation that I had in my head. Like if I could just change this habit, if I could just only drink on the weekends, whatever it was that, that we were saying to ourselves to justify our own habits. But really the bottom line and the hard truth was that Kim is an addict and needed help on a much deeper level. So Kim found a supportive community that was able to guide her through recovery and is now almost two years clean and sober one day at a time. Kim knows firsthand the importance of showing that addicts can look just like everyone else. We are community members. We are the women in line at the grocery store. We are the dog moms at the dog park. You, dear listener, think we have it all together, but maybe we don't. Kim, welcome to the Together Sober podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Oh, that's so great. Thank you so much. That's such a great little introduction. And wow, it makes me think back to the beginning uh, of my journey. It's funny how far we come and Sometimes it does help to actually look back and go, yeah, that was, that was me. That's the start. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's not so often. I find like, we're just like moving forward, moving forward. How yeah. can we grow? How can we get better? And like the importance of that reflection for so many reasons, right. Um, to look back. And I love being able to read these on the podcast because yeah, like for most people like yourself, you're like, it's been a while since I've really, you know, gone back there and looked at that. So, um, so, well, we're grateful to have you here and I'm excited to see where our conversation goes today. I know for me, it's really important. I want to just really get a better understanding of who you are, you know, what kind of beginning you had, what kind of turning point you had. I'm really curious to learn about the communities that you um, attached yourself to um, that were so instrumental in your recovery. And I know our listeners will be as well. So if you're cool with it, I'd love to just like hand you the mic and, uh, and hear your story. Well, that's so great. Thank you so much for this platform. Um, it's, it's great to be here chatting with you. Another Sober City Movement admin. Um, so yeah, I mean, my story looks similar to others. I, I've heard this story before, but I didn't know this was a common story uh, before I got into recovery. It's amazing that actually um, other people do look just like me, that I'm actually not alone, that I'm not that special in um in my recovery story or journey i like many people thought addicts were people on the streets people with no jobs people in jail but addicts are just like you and me and many other people that are living their day-to-day -day life they're functioning but they're not functioning at their best i was uh i was going through life i i was doing well enough but not really well. Um, so yeah, I mean, everything started pretty usual, just like a teenager experimenting, partying, drinking, doing your regular old teen stuff, as I would thought that was regular. I was just what other people around me were doing and, and whatnot. 
Uh, I was lucky to go off to university. I uh, get a great education. Part of the lifestyle of university is partying, drinking, the keggers, the bars. Other people were doing it. I was just part of that. Um, I was probably a little more into things than other people, um, especially um, drugs and mostly smoking pot. That was a big, you know, um, thing for me. I, I wanted to do that a lot. I kind of started wrapping my identity around that. I was chill. I was cool. I'm putting my Bob Marley posters on the wall. This is becoming part of me. You know, I had, had the palm tree. I got the chill room. Come hang out with me. I thought this is you know, so I started really thinking this is um, this is me. I <clears throat> my background is Irish and Dutch, so I thought I drink and I smoke weed. This is what, like, I like justified it that way that this is how I who I am. And um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't realize it was a problem. I just again thought this is what I like to do. I chill out this way, and we all get hungover, don't we? Um, I was doing relatively well in school. I, I, I passed school, I graduated, all of that. So it wasn't holding me back really in that regard. Um, I, I, I ended up doing odd jobs after school. Um, I was in the restaurant industry and uh, in the restaurant industry can be tricky with drinking. And that was again, part of the social life of, of the restaurant industry. Um, after work after a hard shift yeah you have drinks with your with your co-workers and that was a big part of it um and that's how I started to learn like this is how I relax this is how you know uh this is how I de-stress um and yeah it just became really ingrained in my life um then it was like I don't know just somehow along the way it was like I wanted to kind of stop and, and I couldn't and that's when you start realizing, oh, this is this is a problem if I'm not able to stop, um, despite many negative consequences. Um, yeah, so that, that was that was uh, and part of it was also I, I was kind of getting stuck in a rut. I wasn't going forward with things that I had gone to university for. Um, and I was starting to feel uh, guilt and shame around that, that I hadn't followed my career path that I should have that I you know I saw my classmates and friends and people go on to do great things and I was kind of stuck and I didn't have motivation um that was I was wow, doing perfectly fine at the job I was but I wasn't going further and really achieving what I really could have um and I have some regrets still about that when I look back you know if only I had if only if only right um but um, yeah, so along the way, I, I thought about stopping and quitting. I tried everything. I mean, I bought every book, self-help. I, like I said at the beginning there, I was into habit formation. I thought every book on bad habits. I, I loved studying that. I thought if I could read enough books, I could cure myself. And I just had bad habits. Like, it's funny that you think like, about the things you think about and call it instead of addiction. Um, What's interesting about that is that like humans, it's almost like our first inclination is, is to blame ourselves. Like never once in this path of all of your research and reading, did you think for a second and not just you, like most of us, do we think maybe there's a piece of this that actually like I can detach myself from and, and maybe it's not entirely my fault. Right. Um, so, so true. Yeah. Like, Oh, look at the society I'm in and look at what I've been involved in. Like maybe there's a problem that university is all wrapped up in this binge drinking culture and that, you know, marijuana is becoming so normalized and everyone's using it to be like chilled out and relaxed. And yeah. So that was just like reinforcing these things of like, yeah. it's not really, problem I just can't you know and if I could moderate if I could just control it a little bit which is which is silly to think about now because yeah was never my thing I can't moderate with food I can't moderate with anything because like you described a piece of I thought it was really you painted such a really cool picture when you were describing your behaviors with 
uh, marijuana use and how you, you quite literally created an environment for yourself, right? Like you had the Bob Marley tapestries, you had probably the dim lighting. If, if your dorm room looked like my dorm room, everything. And we know, we know the importance of environment and how that influences of the people that we're surrounding ourselves, how that influences us. And then the third thing I noticed, so environment people that you mentioned, and then this idea of like learned behavior. And, and so in your young career days working in the restaurant industry, it became this learned behavior that the way you de-stress, like if everybody after a work shift in a restaurant went and like went for a walk around the park, that would be your learned behavior for de-stress, right? Um but it didn't yeah. happen that way. It was alcohol no. that was learned behavior. That's and right. so exactly. it's just crazy how much happens in your story in particular in your 20s. Like yeah. how much of this was really just like force fed into you. And that's it. I think about that. And I used to say that when I was in the restaurant industry too. I said, there was no such thing as a fresh air break. You got <laughs> a smoke break. If you wanted a break, and that's what I was like, well, I want a break. And if I don't smoke, I don't get a break. Yep. I kept smoking, you know? And that's like, isn't that silly? If you ask for a fresh air break, though, your boss would look at you like, get back out there. What get you on the floor. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But I need to have this, you know, cancer stick and like, the, but oh, that'll give me a break outside. So, so silly. And I, I would always, I knew that, but it was like, my way around that was pick up smoking, you know, another addictive <laughs> substance. So yeah, it's, um, and it's funny when I was writing the notes for like, just uh, jotting down notes for this yeah. episode, I pulled out like an old notebook. I thought maybe I'd read a little bit from it if I could. <gasps> oh my God, um, please. Yes. So, like, and I remember doing these kind of writings, um, along the way. Um, and we talked about weed. So this kind of addresses that it says I have an addiction to smoke weed. I use too much, too frequently, including early in the morning, AM to PM. I have the desire to quit smoking weed. I always feel guilty after using. I hardly get high because of my tolerance. This is what years of frequent use will do. do. Thinking about weed in any way causes me to crave using. I know that using causes many adverse effects, including my sleeping issues. I also have depression and anxiety issues, which I know, which I'm taking meds for. I know getting control of my weed issue will really give me a boost of self-esteem. I don't know if I truly believe that I can stop smoking. I am seeking help and have an appointment at ADAPT next Monday. There are very few benefits to smoking anymore, yet smoking, it feels good somehow. It really is gross and really bad for me. My teeth are discolored. My skin is full of sores and scars. I have gained weight. I often lose memory or cannot concentrate on things yet it eases pain and loneliness. And I was just like, wow, this brought back a lot of feelings and memories. I think I did a many, many journal entries like that, where it was like, I knew it was bad. And then, but there was always like this, but this yet, this like, but I can't stop. And, um, and there was so much of that for me of, uh, of wanting to stop knowing the adverse effects and and not being able to um so yeah I just thought that was kind of interesting that it kind of was like oh wow in this old notebook <laughs> where I went to go write these notes that I came across that and it was just like it's like easy yeah right there's, so there's like the answers almost and I'm so first of all thank you for literally sharing a piece of your mind and your heart with us and I I'm so glad that you did because it's such a great example of how everybody's journey to if maybe it's sobriety for some people maybe it's not in your case it is sobriety like it started long before like you can when you do go back you realize you have been doing this work you've been searching for so much longer than the first aa meeting or the first you know whatever it is you signed up for um and so i really appreciate you sharing that entry with us um along with sharing just like you were just like grasping at straws buying all the habit books and the self-help books and and like that's all like it's amazing if we just like listen to ourselves a little bit more 
because you were you your mind was like really fighting hard um for for you to hear right yeah I wish I had a date on that but it does say like uh, it talks about that I went to this adapt so adapt is like a course basically an addictions counseling course and I also did that I was also reading taking courses all of this right I have graduated addictions courses like but it didn't help me with my addiction um I was very knowledgeable about the cycles of addiction and all of this and uh, it was interesting to me but I didn't it I was I know like say like I wasn't ready yet and it's like I don't know divine timing or whatever it might be um of course I wish it had happened sooner but for whatever reason it didn't and um at one point um basically kind of at my wits end and I remember trying to see counselors and therapists and they're spending so much money going everywhere I finally actually went to, um, I remember my mom said, isn't there an online or virtual something you can go to? I said, oh yeah, I have seen ads for, you know, better help, virtual counseling and stuff. So I signed up for that and that was really great because um, you can actually like type out your whole like story and this is my issues and I want to focus on this and this. Um, and they match you with a counselor who specializes in your specific issues because I had spent many counseling sessions just giving my synopsis my first story and then go they'd go oh that'll be you know three hundred dollars like wait you didn't help me you You didn't do do anything all I told you so far is my you know story so uh, this was really good because like right away they matched me with someone and she was like in Texas I think ironically and like I didn't have to like go over this she went through my little bio and was like knew about me and was like okay Kim this is what you have to do and she was blunt and to the point and she said Kim you have to get clean and sober and it was like who are you and why is what and I'm sure people had told me in the past clean and sober I don't think actually anyone had said both my yeah. drinking friend said, stop doing drugs. My drug friend said, stop sure. drinking. And, mm-hmm. you know, but no one had put it all together. And somehow I hadn't put it all together. Maybe I was denial or whatnot. But I, and she was like, no, like, look at it. You're anxious. You're depressed. You're doing, <laughs> doing drugs and drinking. You need to get clean and sober. Mm-hmm. Bottom line. And it was like the light bulb moment, right? It was... I, and I was ready though. It was that moment of readiness. It just somehow, this is what happens and I'm doing it for myself. That's a big thing. It's not somebody else. It's not because I did something wrong or there, you, you, you fucked up last night. You were an idiot. You, you can't come out with us, whatever. It was for me. Right. And I wanted to feel good and I was ready. Wow. So I did put a yeah, I put a little, you know, date on myself. And I was like, not ready to quit like that moment, you know? So I had said, okay, September 1st, this is 2001. I had had a, like a cottage weekend away with a friend and said, I'm going to tell my best friend at this cottage weekend, we're going to have our last hurrah. And, um, and yeah, so, and that was a big fear was telling her, I thought this is, um, I'm going to lose my best friend. We have a lot of memories and they're often centered around drinking and um I remember we're drinking we're, we're pretty uh we're feeling pretty good there at the cottage and I said to her so I'm getting clean and sober this is all gonna stop you know September 1st and she kind of chuckled and uh, I remember like she's told me this story many times now of, you know just kind of was like okay Kim sure yeah <laughs> like whatever you're talking about so and I was like no I really am and I, she didn't see it she wasn't judgmental she just wasn't really wasn't really buying it right like let's see right and I didn't say I didn't put a number on it it wasn't like oh this is a one month cleanse this isn't my lifetime commitment nothing like that and I think that was really important mm-hmm. and why I think stuck mm-hmm. it was just like let's see how long I can go um yeah and and one of the biggest things is having a supportive friend that didn't question or, or discourage me or say like, well, well, the, how the hell are we going to hang out or anything? Yeah. That was is really- this friend that you're talking about 
or any of your friends, had you expressed to any of your network prior, like to that day in the cabin that you had desires to make a change and stop and everything? Like, were they kind of aware of what was going on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. And I think they were like, yeah, you know, like, that'd be great because you're fucking annoying. And you're <laughs> like, and, and I'd be like, I would say, you know, we have problems. My big thing was I would go out with my friends and then I'd go and talk to like random strangers. Mm. And they're like, we went hang out every co- once a month. And here you are talking to this group over there. You don't even know mm. all night. And I'm like, oh, I'm a social butterfly. I'm a social, I'm just a friendly person. They're like, be our friend, be mm-hmm. present with us, mm-hmm. you know? And I had excuses and yeah, and they would say it and I'm sure they would say it to me. I would say it to them that I had these desires, but yeah, I think a lot of it and, and a lot of it was like, well, just quit smoking weed. Like, oh, that's right. It. The smoky oh, friend said yeah. to stop drinking. Definitely, I had kind of the two different groups, you know, and they were both like, nothing was really syncing up though. Nobody was until this per therapist or counselor was like, clean and sober is the answer. Oh "Oh my goodness. So yeah, it was, um, it was scary, but again, like I just, yeah, just, uh, I did it. I set that date. That was really a key thing for me is setting that start how much time from the appointment with the better help therapist to the september like stop date what how much time was that it was less than a month but about three weeks that i had to wrap my head around it and being telling people that i was going to do it Mm. was solidifying my commitment now i've told people i had a boyfriend who i was drinking and using with and i told him and I was like, no, I'm really going to do this, you know, and nobody like some people again, like they didn't really believe me. I think they're just like, yeah. okay, we'll see. Right. Like, yeah. I really like hearing this perspective because obviously you hear a lot of people that it's like in that moment, I'm not drinking anymore. And then you hear a whole camp of individuals where setting the date is you've said it like three times. Like that was critical for me. That was my success. And so I'm wondering like if we can like dig almost like unfold this even more, unpack this even more as to like, what were more of those benefits for you? Because I'm thinking of myself as a listener, if I've tried hangover on a Sunday morning, quitting alcohol, and that's not working for me, like maybe this is something that I really want to put some consideration to. So what else, like, do you think about setting that three week ish, you know, window of time, um was so crucial Um, it allowed me to do a little bit of research which I'm like a research junkie so like there I am I'm gonna subscribe to every podcast Mm -hmm. I'm gonna get some books in the house I'm gonna start making appointments with doctors and I'm gonna look up where my local NA meetings are all of this I started to put those kind of tools in place because I did need that kind of toolbox as we talk about often um so that when that september 1st rolls around i'm ready i had to clean out my house prepared that way not on september 1st where i gotta look around my house and then want to get rid of stuff no i gotta get rid of bongs and the weed and the everything out of my house i gotta get the liquor out i got everything out um yeah so that was was yeah that was good and and almost like okay have your last, you know, glass of wine with mom, have your last night with the boyfriend doing what you do there, have that cottage weekend with your girlfriend saying this is the last hurrah, mm-hmm. uh, getting non-alcoholic options in the house. I didn't get into the non-alcoholic stuff till a little bit later, but even just like yeah. having like, I didn't know what to drink other than a ginger ale. Yeah, exactly. I, I guess I get pop and what, what else is there to drink? Oh, there's like, seltzer water never had one of those before okay let's try that and stuff yeah just getting those like preparations in place um and it was just that time time was the biggest thing for me wrapping my head around it it was three weeks started telling people going to bed every night like okay and Mm -hmm. it was yeah there was not a night in those three weeks where I was like no I think I'm gonna go back to it because no the Mm -hmm. drinking wasn't fun doing the drugs wasn't fun smoking weed wasn't cool I was like having no benefits so I was like 
nothing was like, oh, maybe, but maybe you do want to go back. No, I didn't. I knew for sure. Yeah. Like I was like, yeah. yeah. Um, this makes a lot of sense. And obviously you're somebody, as you've said, self-prescribed, like I want to be prepared. I'm a researcher. Like that's part of your personality. But I think that's so important because somebody with your personality type just overnight saying I'm done, I'm never, never again, or, you know, I'm done for now, whatever. Um, that's really tough because like you said, the environment, as we know from almost 20 years prior was like the thing that sunk your ship kind of to begin with. So you basically gave yourself this three week period, not to just like hang out and drink and smoke, but that was preparation. That was quite literally like getting ready so that when September 1st hits, okay, now you start and like, for most people, September 1st would hit day one and they'd be like, okay, now I have to clear out the liquor cupboard. I have all this temptation around me. I have to cancel plans with my friend at the bar. Like you'd already done all that stuff. Exactly. Yep. So cool. <laughs> I have a question um, about that three week period of time. And you, you may or may not remember, but your consumption levels over that three week period of time, did you notice any difference at all? That's a great question. And I don't, you know, it's so funny. I thought about that before. I'm like, I don't even remember my last drink, my last bong hit. I don't think I made it a big deal. I was literally tired of it. So I wasn't like, I'm going on a rager. I'm going to do all this, you know, all the blow I can in one night. Let's see how I can get it done. I like last hurrah. Like I was done with it. So I think I don't have much memory of it because I was, you know, I was more excited to stop and yeah. be free of it than I was like trying to like consume as much as I could before, you know, and, and that I think really tells you or me mm-hmm. that I was ready. Yeah. I was ready for this change because, um, yeah, I, I don't think I really can recall like being like, I got to do this. I'm sure I did. I'm sure I had, you know, a yeah. beer at the end remember do I better go uh you know I go to my favorite places go to the brewery I always liked and see my favorite bartender for the last time and but it's funny how quickly you forget about all that stuff actually it's amazing and I just you 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 must have said you know a dozen times today like I was ready but I think what's critical about your story when when Kim says like I was ready that wasn't like an overnight thing that all of a sudden magically she was ready. It, it was like, it's not this idea of like, don't wait until you're ready, right? That you'll, you're never going to be ready if you wait until you're ready. Like it's keep doing the work until you're ready, right? Exactly. I wanted to be ready many, many, many times before that. There were many days where I thought today's the day I'm going to quit. Today's the day I'm not going to every day, every day I was going to wake up and I was not going to use that day. Every night going drinking, having a hangover, the last time, not doing this again, whatever, many, many times, but real readiness is much different, much different. Yeah. Yeah. So September 1st comes and now it's like, official. And I I also love how you mentioned that it really wasn't official because you hadn't declared it for life. You hadn't declared it for a set amount of time. So walk us through some of that experience. Like once that date came for you. Yeah. So the date came and I'm glad I know I like just fresh starts, fresh beginnings, first of the month. September is always kind of a nice time. People are going back to school, things like that. Um, that was, that was interesting for sure. And then I realized like, oh shit, it's like Labor Day weekend. Everyone's getting drunk like that first week. And the first days were all right. I was feeling motivated. I'm like, oh, I like this. Like I can get through a few days, but like quickly it was, oh, oh gosh, this is like a suddenly a long weekend. The first, you know, um, weekend of September. And that was like, oh, this is getting real now. Yeah. And, um, and we quickly planned actually us, um, a celebration of life for my grandmother. She had passed away many months before, but because of COVID, we hadn't got to do all this celebration of life. And it was like, oh, I'm going to go to this family event. That's sad and hard. And there's going to be alcohol. Um, and I'm going to have to not do this, you know, not do what I would usually do. And it was hard because I remember, I think it was like only like a weekend. Right. And I was like, 
I could quit now. You know, I can just restart. It's only been a week, you know? Uh, but I was like, no, I think I'm going to like do this. And again, I had shared with my parents and my family. I went, as soon as I got there, I was like, you know, this is what I am, I'm doing. Um, my, my parents live in an area up here in, in Niagara region. It is all vineyards. This is like, it's called Vineland. Okay. It is like literally wine central and my mom's house is generally wine central to begin with. So, you know, and everyone's cheersing and my nanny and my grandma who were, you know, celebrating, she loved her wine, you know, that was like part of it. Like, Oh, it's not a glass of wine for nanny. And I was like, no, no, I, you know, I'll have a drink, but it'll be cranberry juice or whatever. Mm. So that was my first like real test. Um, my sister lives in Australia and she had actually sent me a gift and my mom had got me a card and it was like, so nice she had like it was like wow and this was a gift for a week in and just making this like commitment and yeah. I was like damn like that is so nice like these people like believe in me yeah. and, and like I still have these cards and everything that I look at and I was like wow I didn't they didn't give wait a year to give me a gift and go congratulations they gave me a gift because I was like I was making this important life decision that they knew I think in some way again i many times before had this intention but this really the gifts reinforce the fact that like oh i think they they knew i was a little more serious this time and how amazing is that to just celebrate somebody's effort and energy to something rather than you made it 30 days you made it 90 days like i don't want to diminish those milestones either because i know those are important as well but like let's also celebrate like the the funeral the the gathering of life that you were able to get through right like even though it was on day six like, yeah. <laughs> um, but day six can be like the hardest day and I think it might have been of this whole journey and it was like okay once I got through that it was like seriously I could do anything yeah. now I've gotten through something hard now I can get there so yeah, it was, um, those were the first day, weeks and days and it just reinforced it. So, and then I, I was, uh, I found my first, um, NA meeting, okay. um, I went to an NA meeting previously, you know, when I was in my kind of like desire to stop using, but hadn't fully committed. So I, and ironically was at the church I go to. Mm -hmm. So I knew about this, these meetings and I felt comfortable going to that space and that place that really helped. I felt very welcomed and everything right away. I met good people and a nice community there. So glad I did that. Um, and that, you know, became a, a weekly, you know, thing, or I went to a couple of meetings a week and that reinforced what I was doing. Uh, I, I realized I wasn't alone. My story was not completely unique. There was other people like me. Um, yeah. And that, that's been a huge thing for me is sticking, working a program, getting a sponsor, getting a home group, all of that. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that I found those rooms um, and those people, there were people that, you know, have come and gone out of those meetings, but like have touched my life and made like such huge impacts. So yeah, I was like, really glad and I do believe in some way that God you know even just being at my church and stuff like really put that right in front of me and like yeah. here it is here's your meeting you know where to go go to it That's you know and, yeah yeah well, so then and what's so interesting is that in the same way that people and environment were dragging you down in the beginning of your addictive years environment and people are the things that also saved you like in recovery. Absolutely. Um, so it just has to be Absolutely. the right environment and the right people, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Isn't that true? Exactly. Right. She's she's falling over. <laughs> Sorry there. I gotta plug my phone in low battery. We're we're dying here. All right. Sorry. All right. All right. Yeah. So um, yeah, so exactly. No, absolutely. Community, they say the opposite of addiction. That was it. Yeah. Um, absolutely found that recovery community we started getting the key tags i'm like a gold star junkie too so i'm like yep. oh my god give me, give me these key tags i want that 30 days and, and then you start having life milestones yeah have your first birthday 
Um, oh, then you got you got to got to break up with the the idiot that you've been dating. That's a druggie. So dump him, and that was good. Release that. You know, um, no longer tempted by that. And um, yeah, I started having like my birthday party. It's clean and sober. Guess what? My friends still like me. Fun, all of this stuff, right? Um, my best friend, who I was afraid of losing, uh, things like we had, you know, Christmas. I went over to her house, and she had non-alcoholic wine and her beer fridge stocked with the Heineken zeros and it was like oh my god like I can be included and she's not gonna like ditch me and in fact I'm actually more fun because I'm not like I don't know blabbering idiot like I'm not I could like play cards and actually know what I'm doing and like I'm actually yeah and they were like no this is like they were really encouraging and really supportive So it was the opposite of all the fears that I had um, of being shunned or, you know, not able to relate to things. It's amazing. I'm like, I thought then that what we had in common was drinking. Oh my God. It's just the, we have so much in common. That was just a mask. Yeah. It was literally just a mask. We're like, actually, we love doing so many things the same. We have so many of the same interests, little things that are similar. So yeah. yeah so that was really great and so your friends your friends that are still your friends which is amazing and I'm so happy to hear they're so supportive I want to touch on this because this is like a super hot button for a lot of people like what you just said like that was my biggest fear so talk us through and your experience is your own unique experience but like I'm assuming not all your friends are sober, if any, I don't know. Um, right. So like, what's that experience like socializing um, when there is um, alcohol? Are there situations where you need to excuse yourself or you don't go at all? Like walk us through some of that. Right. Yes. Um, so that's a great question. And it's not the same for everybody. Absolutely. It took a few months before I could actually like go to like a pub or a bar but I love like a pub or bar environment like that's you know here in Canada we like to watch our hockey and that's why we go to the sports bar and do it um and I didn't want to miss out on that I felt like for me if I said no you can't do something then I would want to go against my sobriety and be like, oh, fuck it. I'll just have a beer then, you know, like, don't tell me I can't do something. Okay. So I was like, I can go to pubs and bars. And I think I got sober at the right time in terms of the industry being so um, Mm. changing and having so many options. So yeah, I sat, I remember my first, you know, pub having a non-alcoholic beer. Nobody around me knew that I was having a non-alcoholic beer. I was hooting and hollering for my hockey team like I would have, you know, have been on many drinks. And um, so that for me was key that I, then I realized, but I did it slowly and at my own pace, right? Mm -hmm. And I kind of, you got to know yourself. Like, is this something you can handle? and uh, kind of tread into the waters lightly so um and but that was key for me was like not saying I can't do this like if I had to sit at home and I was like I can't go out and socialize then I would have trouble I'd go back I'd go back out um I started doing all these those sort of things so it's like okay now it was go to my first hockey game go have you know a non-alcoholic beer there because I'm all really into that you know and that was I was finding a lot of those I was finding um yeah so that that was important for me to to start testing the waters a bit discovering that there's lots of options out there in terms of what you can have in terms of drinks and things like that and I can just go and have fun and you, you, you can be accepted. Yeah. Uh, most of my, fr- oh, my other things. I was like, what? I thought everyone else was drinking and hammered. Turns out like I got to a party and like, there's like five other like sober, non-drinking people, <laughs> one sick, sick on meds on this DD. I'm like, what? Like yep. three out of the six of us aren't drinking. Like yep. I was drinking, I was in my own world. I had no idea anyone else was sober. No idea, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, what? Oh my God, there's people that drive, people that have other reasons for not drinking. Yeah. That was a shock to me. Um, you know, doing nights like that, I remember it's a pink PJ party for cancer celebration. And we danced the night away to the, you know, the 
80s and 90s music. And again, like I, I do not need drinks to dance yeah. in my pink pajamas with, you know, 200 women. Let me tell you, um, it yeah. was a blast. And then I drove everybody home at the end of the yeah. night. Right. Yeah. And it was awesome. They were like, this is you're the best, you know? And I'm like, this is the best, you know, oh. I can do all of this sober. Yeah. So all, those mo- times it just reinforces it that you can have fun, that you can do things. Um, I will say too, though, I didn't, not every friend was super supportive and not every friend has stuck around. It's actually a good test of that, of your true friends. I don't need those friends anyway, if they're not willing to stick around and be with me while I'm, you know, going through these changes and sobriety and things like that. Those were friends I do realize that were probably somewhat more surface level friendships and what we did have in common did revolve around alcohol and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I was okay at to, to, to move on. Life does change. I was changing yeah. and it's okay that, you know, not every friend sticks around and sees, sees you through to the end. Um, as an adult, I've gotten that even just with age, I think a little more mature that like, I don't need every friend in high school to still be my best yeah. friend now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So that's been a, a learning experience and, and that's fine. Well, I, I think that so is such a realistic perspective and um, experience on both sides of it. And again, like consistency with your story, the reason from what I'm hearing, Kim has been successful, again, navigating her sobriety into her sobriety is like preparation. Like, like I just, I, I'm probably going to like title this preparation is key or something just because of how you have approached your entire journey. And, you know, from September 1st, like you said, you didn't like run to the pub the next week. Like it was a couple months that, you know, dip your toe in the water, I think was a phrase that you used. And so I think, you know, there's so many takeaways from this, from this conversation. Um, this idea of environment and the people we surround ourselves by. Um, But really for me, it's like, what is it to feel prepared and how can we prepare ourselves as much as possible for this journey? Even if we don't know, like, even when we're in the messy middle of it, like even when you didn't know September 1st was going to be a date, even though you didn't know better help was around the corner, you were still preparing Um, And so I think this is something that a lot of people that have been, it's, it's a mindfuck to be on this cycle of searching for sobriety. And it's, I mean, it tears us apart, right? When you're in the middle of that search for it. And so if, if there's anything people can find in this episode, like, please rewind it and listen to it again, because there's so many tips on what you can do to prepare yourself for the messy middle, the sobriety date, right? And then what happens into sobriety. So Kim, you have just given us so much today. I'm so grateful for your story. Um, We didn't really get a chance to talk too much about the work that you're doing with Sober in Toronto, but um, I know people are gonna wanna reach out to you, start following you on social media. What's the best way for people to find you? Yeah, so after March 1st, I will be in a new city. Really excited about this new journey. Um, Super grateful for Sober City Movement, having them allow me to be the Sober in Toronto rep. But Sober N, like the letter N, Toronto, will be changing to Sober N Charlottetown. So that's a city in Prince Edward Island. So come find me there, Sober N Charlottetown. Charlottetown, small little town, but wow, what a great non-alcoholic scene they've got there. One of the reasons I fell in love with it. Um, I could not be doing this move without my sobriety. Uh, This is what dreams are made out of. I'm telling you, this is all because of sobriety, uh, because of the community I found uh, as part of Sober City Movement, as part of Sober in Toronto soon to be sober in Charlottetown. I'm so, so, so grateful that this exists. And I hope everyone will follow me and my adventures out to 
to the new uh, province of Prince Edward Island. <laughs> oh, I love it. I can't wait to start seeing like new pictures of such a beautiful destination and the whole non-alcoholic scene that they have there. And if you have trouble spelling Charlottetown, just look in the show notes. We've got that for you in the show notes. So you don't have to scribble it down right now. Kim, one last question. Uh, I love to ask every guest that comes onto the podcast and I'm really curious your perspective on it. It's a hypothetical question. So we are going to assume that everybody's going to follow it. That's not going to be the issue. And here's the question. If you could come up with one rule or law as it relates to sobriety, addiction, mental health, and this rule or law would make the world a better place, what would that one rule or law be? Oh, it's such a good question. And Boy, I wanted to get creative with my answer. And but I just, you know what, the same thing keeps coming to my mind. And it's, it's actually the golden rule. Um, it is do unto others as you would do unto yourself and do that unto yourself. And that means kindness. I really do believe be kind to yourself, be kind to others. Uh, you don't know what journey other people are on. I looked like a regular old person being successful and I was suffering on the inside. So many people are suffering on the inside. So be kind to them um, because you would want them to be kind to you and be kind to yourself because you deserve kindness and you know, be your own best friend. So I know it's a little bit like generic, like that's the golden rule, but wouldn't that be nice if we could make that a law? Oh my gosh, but it's there for a reason. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? I will, <laughs> I'm on board with that. And I think, yeah. you know, one of your most poignant lines that I, I shared um, before we started recording, this is written by Kim. And she, she says, we are the community members. We are the women in the line at the grocery store, right? We are everywhere. And I just want to thank you for bringing that to the forefront of our awareness um, and absolutely, if we're compounding that understanding with kindness, we're simply going to be able to help one another reduce the length of suffering. That's the bottom line. So Kim, thank you so much for being here. This is like conversation has pumped me up more than, more than, you know, so I'm very grateful for you and extending gratitude to you today. Together, Sober listeners, rewind it now, take some more notes. There's so much value here, um, but prepare, 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 and that is going to start to change the trajectory of your journey, I have no doubt whatsoever. Together, Sober listeners, so grateful for you coming back week after week, and come back next week for another story. If you're still listening right now, I'm going to assume that you really liked this episode. And if that's the case, can you please go ahead and rate and review the Together Sober podcast? What this does is organically puts the podcast into more listeners' ears, thus creating more lasting and effortless sobriety and mental peace for others.